and welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. I'm really, really glad you guys are are watching here this morning because uh, today I think we've got we got something really special. We're going to begin a, a two part message on a topic that I, I believe that when it's understood and it's applied, it's brought so many people to experience the the freedom that really is their birthright. Uh, they experience freedom from anger, freedom from anxiety. Uh, from from guilt, and and just as important, freedom to love, freedom to to live, uh, because it's not just that we're free from things, we're also free to things, and uh, and that's I think I'm, I'm praying these this week and next week will be really powerful towards that. You see, I'm in my I'm in my 17th year as a counselor, and I've I've sat with all kinds of different people from all kinds of different walks of life. I've, I've met with men and women across the denominational spectrums, um, whether it be Presbyterians or Baptists or Pentecostals. I've met with Catholics and with Christadelphians and Anglicans and Seventh-day Adventists. I've sat down with, uh, with Muslims and Jehovah Witnesses, with Orthodox and Jews and Hindus. I've, I've met with agnostics and atheists. It's it's really just all over the spectrum. I've even met with people who've been part of Wiccans and other, other forms of witchcraft. And whether they're young or they're old or every color and political belief, I've, I've really come to see that people are people. And, and we're all subject to the same human condition. And so what that means is that we, we have far more in common than we do apart, than we have different. And, and with each person that I've met, I've had one goal. And that goal really is to, to share the good news of the finished work of, of Jesus, of the finished work of the cross and what he's done to set us free. Because I believe that the work of the cross is the only thing that sets us free from all of our, our deep human struggles. It's the only answer for the broken human condition that we all experience. And, and so I've had this front row seat to watch the Holy Spirit open up people's eyes as they discover who they are. That they discover that when they put their faith in Jesus, that that old, broken, sinful, shamed, unwanted self was crucified with Christ and no longer lives, they're gone. And that they were born again as a brand new creation that was now holy and pure, that has been set apart and made acceptable. And, And that's who they are, made in the image of a living God, living God himself, that's who they are now. And, and this is powerful truth, though, it now takes time to absorb. And, and so watching them as they're week by week, as, as I meet with them, and they, they're growing, and they're discovering more of, of who they are and the ramifications, and, but it takes time. It takes time for them to, to recognize that. And I think that's a, that's a journey that we're all still on. We're all still learning and discovering who we really are and what God's done. But there's another aspect of the cross that when I teach, for many people, the impact of it, though, is instantaneous. That, that when they, they walk out of the office after discovering this, they leave different. That they, they walk out care, without carrying something that they brought in with them. And there's this incredible freedom 
from that. And, and what it is, is it comes from understanding and applying forgiveness. Uh, forgiving those who've caused such deep hurt in them. You see, we all, we all live in this broken, fallen world. And, and what that means is that we're guaranteed to be hurt somewhere along the line. That someone's going to offend us, someone's going to shame us, someone's going to sin against us. And, and that, that hurt, that abuse, that neglect in some way, if not properly tended to, will begin to, to, to shape and deform our, our soul. It'll have a devastating impact on us. And, and it, will, it will impact us in, in many different ways. I still remember one, one quote, a medical doctor who, who ran a, a mental institution, he said that if, if his patients understood forgiveness, really understood forgiveness, 90% of them could go home tomorrow. That was his opinion. And that, that tells us the, the impact that unforgiveness and bitterness can have on our, on our hearts, on our souls. And so it's so important for us to discover then how is it that we're going to deal with it? How is it that we can be set free so we can live in that freedom, that freedom that really is, is our birthright? And so that's what we're going to begin to look at today and, and next week as well. So let's start with reading our passage. We're back in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. And it reads this. It says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Well, we're not going to try to handle this on our own. So let's pray and let's invite the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we're, um, we're going to enter some pretty sacred ground here because we're, we're going to begin to, we're going to begin to enter into those areas of hurt and pain that are precious to us because they're so impactful and yet so tender and, and so delicate. And so we're going to trust you, Holy Spirit, as we enter in these areas that you would, you would bring your healing touch, that you would, you would speak some powerful truth to us this morning, and that we would, we would really begin to see and understand the freedom that you want us to experience through this. And so we're trusting you to be the teacher and to speak to each and every one of us this morning. In your name we pray, amen. Well, I, I like to remind us uh, at the beginning that we, we weren't created for this sin-cursed world, that you and I, we were created for, for paradise, for this Garden of Eden. And, and it was because of Adam's sin that sin and along death with it came in and has had devastating impacts. And it's, it's really destroyed man. It's destroyed mankind because we were created in the image of God in Adam and Eve, but but as when they sinned, that all changed. That that their image now was was now one of of deformed of of transgression, and and no longer was there that confidence and that knowledge of being loved. Now there was shame, there was desperation, there was hurting, there was there was all kinds of fear, and how quickly they turned to one another. A, a great picture of this really is the the think of the book Lord of the Flies. And, and the portrayal of what we see there. And I think that's, that's a great picture of what we see in this world. And, and really what it comes down to is, is hurt people hurt other people. 
And, and so we, we have this, this, this scenario being played out now in all of our lives. So to, to kind of illustrate, I think, what, what, what the role of bitterness plays in our lives, I, I want to use, uh, use your imagination a little bit. So I want you to imagine now that your heart is like a house. And this house is living in a neighborhood. It's living in a, in a cul-de-sac maybe, or you've got, you know, living on a street. So you have all these other neighbors and each neighbor of yours is another person. They, they might be your actual neighbors if you're, you know, involved in some kind of friendship with them. It might be, might be your, fr- your family or other friends. It, it might even be people who you're not associated with anymore, but people from your past. So maybe if uh, a parent who's passed away, they would, they would essentially still be a neighbor or, or maybe others who've hurt you. But we live in this, this neighborhood now. And, and again, your heart is, is, is like a house there. And so you think about a house, there's various rooms within a house. And so there's sort of various aspects or parts of your house, of your heart. And so maybe there's the, the games room or the hobby room or the craft room. And that's where you like to enjoy and certain activities. And then you have the living room where you like to, you know, have many people come over and, and just kind of laugh and joke with them. And, and then you've, you've got maybe a, a basement where you like to kind of, you know, turn into a rec room and you kind of hang out there and, and just relax and enjoy times there. And then you have some intimate rooms like a bedroom. And, and then we have some storage uh, rooms as well. We have all kinds of different parts in our hearts. And, and again, you know, we live in this neighborhood, we live in this community because we were designed for community. We, we're, we're not designed to live life on our own. Again, you think about Adam and Eve in the garden and, and, and why God made Eve in the first place because God looked at Adam and says, it's not good for man to be alone. It, it, you and I are not self-sufficient. We're meant to live within a community. And so for Adam and Eve, they were meant to live in community, not just with each other, but with God ultimately. And what that allowed is then that God, through Adam, could share life with Eve, could share that love and that acceptance and, and encouragement. And, and Eve, from God, could share that with Adam as well. And so you saw this dynamic being played out. And, and that's what God expects and desires for us, is that we're living within this, this community, living within our, on our street with our neighbors, so that we could have them over to our house and we could be over to their house, that we, can, we could share our heart with one another. And, and so as you go through life, your, your neighbors, your, your, your siblings or your, your parents, your friends growing up, teachers maybe, uh, they would come over and, and you would invite them into your heart. You'd invite them in and they would, you would all sit down at, in your living room and you would have some, some warm drinks, maybe some hot chocolate, especially on a cold day like today, and have some, some cookies or some snacks. And, and, and you get to just laugh and and, and share some good times and, and reminisce maybe or tell some other stories and, 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 and have just a good refreshing time together. And then they would, they would leave and they'd go back to their home and you'd be there, but, but you'd both be refreshed. You'd both be encouraged. You'd both, you'd both experience the life of God as you shared that with one another. And it would be, it would be a time of affirmation. It'd be a wonderful time, a time of significance. That's the ideal. But we don't, we don't live always in that ideal. We, we live in this reality of a sin-cursed world. And, and the reality is nobody lives perfectly. No one never sins. And so from time to time, every one of us makes mistakes, even, even someone like Megan. And, and so 
what happens is this friend that we had over, this friend that we we trust and we invite into our heart, we invite into the living room, we sit with them, they 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 make a mistake, they sin, they they say or they do something hurtful. Maybe it's maybe it's a careless word, maybe it's a maybe it's an accusation, maybe it's a tone, maybe maybe they forget something. But they they say something and and maybe because of their own shame and insecurity they attack us and but they say or do something that cuts us deep that that causes hurt within us and and those words or those actions they become they become a dagger to us now in a in a healthy world what would happen at this point is that we would have healthy boundaries and and there's a, there's a great book out there by the way called boundaries that if you're curious about, that would be a great resource for you to go and read this year. But, but these healthy boundaries, what what we do is when someone would offend us in that way, we would we would essentially say, no, that's that's not okay. That what what you've said or what you've done is is not right. And and if necessary, we might even escort that person now out of the living room, out of the home, and and now stand in our doorway as they stand on the sidewalk, and and we would say to them, this is not right. This is how you hurt me, and this is. This is why, you know, it's not appropriate and because I'm made in the image of God. And, and I don't, it's not right and appropriate to treat someone in that way. And, and hopefully when they hear that, they would, they would be remorseful. That they would be, they would respond with regret and, and offer a sincere and honest apology, asking for forgiveness and, and, and repent from that previous action, seeing what they did was wrong knowing then that they're, they're not going to make that same mistake. And if we felt confident in that remorse, we felt confident in that repentance, we would invite them back in, come back in and sit down in the living room again and, and begin to finish off the cookies and hot chocolate and, and finish off the visit. That would be a healthy response. That would be a good response that we, again, we don't tolerate when we're being abused. But how many of you know that that, may be the healthy response, but not the typical response. That, that, that typically we respond in one of two other ways. And, and so the first other way that's not so healthy is, is really it's, it happens to the person who grows up never learning that they have boundaries and, and, and that, that it's not okay to be mistreated in such a way. This is often the case when little children are abused, whether it be sexually abused or physically abused or, or even just neglected. And, and they experience that abuse and they, they grow up and, and these boundaries are violated. They're more than that. They're destroyed. They're dismantled. And, and it's like the, the front door of their heart gets kicked in and, and all the windows are smashed and, 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 you know, there's an opening in the wall that's just been just, you know, a bomb went off and blew a huge opening in there. And so there's no way then now for them to secure their heart. And, and so now anyone has access and, and wild animals now come in and invade their heart and, and just, you know, take and destroy things and, and just ravage it. And, and so this person grows up now thinking it's normal for them to be abused, that it's normal for other people to hurt them. It's, it's normal for them to be mistreated. And, and even worse, they actually think that it's appropriate, 
that they, they deserve that level of abuse, that really it's all they're good for, that in somehow, in some way, they deserve it, that it's their fault. And now in this, in this heart here, in their, in their home, they have an unwanted guest, a permanent resident of sorts called shame that, that incessantly, continually attacks and belittles and cuts down what, who they are. And they begin to believe, and, and, and even more than that, they begin to feel all of it's true. They, they begin to feel and believe that they're unimportant and, and inadequate and unacceptable and unlovable and, and dirty and, and insignificant and unwanted. And, and, and it's like these tapes are being played over and over in our head. These messages, as shame just constantly repeats what was said, what was done to us. Recently, uh, Disney, they, they released um, um, on their streaming service, they released the movie Soul. I don't know if you've seen it or not yet, but in there, towards the end of the movie, there's a great um, picture of this. There's a scene where, where one of this, the characters there has become a bit of a lost soul. And they're struggling and because, you know, the, another character is trying to reach them and they, they've kind of entered into their head. And, and they're seeing what's happening. And in their head, they're, they're hearing these messages being, being replayed. Messages of that it's your fault and you're inadequate and you're not good enough. And all the failures in their life are just bombarding them. And they're, they're shutting down because they're struggling to really, to really trust that they're good. And that's what's happening in our heads. And, and the, only, the only answer to the struggle of shame is really our new identity in Christ. It's why we, we spend so much time talking about it is because that's the only thing that will silence it. The truth of who you are now, the truth of the new you that you've been created in the image of God and in his likeness, in his righteousness, in his holiness, in his purity, that you are now acceptable that you're a person worthy of love. You're, you're a good person now. That, that's the, the only answer. And, and when we recognize that, now, now we can be a person of healthy boundaries. Because again, if I'm made in the image of God, then it's not okay to be mistreated in that way. It's not okay to be abused in that way. And, and therefore, I can, I can you know, not tolerate. I, I have the ability to escort people out of my homes, as it were, when I am mistreated in that way. But that's not the one we want to focus on this morning. Today, today we want to focus on the other kind of response. And the other kind of response is, is where, um, where we decide that I'm never going to get hurt like that again. So if the first one was that we don't have boundaries at all, the second is we, we build such a fortress of protection, such a, a thick and fortified boundary that nobody, nobody will gain access to our heart again. It's like we install this, this giant wall around our, our heart and, and it's got turrets. You know, think about, you know, castles and it's, it's high and it's thick and it's, it's got sniper towers on there and it's, it's outfitted with barbed wire and, and it's got electric fence and, and some, some go as far to install a moat filled with, with deadly alligators and sharks with freaking lasers on them. And, 
And, and, you know, some even put landmines within their yard so that if you could somehow get across the moat, you'd have to cross the yard and get blown out, blown up somehow. And all of those boundaries are there hoping and thinking that that's going to protect us, that, that, that I won't get hurt anymore. And, and you'll see it in people because they, they've got such an edge to them. They've, they give off this impression that says, you, you, you better not come too close. Otherwise, I, I, you're going to get it. You're, I'm going to snap on you and you, you're going to get shot at. And, and people get the message and stay away. Now, please, please understand that, that these two responses it, is not, it's not black and white. It's not an either or. I, I think many people employ a combination of both. That, that there, are, there are those who, <clears throat> whose front door, again, has been torn off its hinges, been destroyed, and, and there's, there's gaping holes in walls, and, and they've got no boundaries, and people just come in and they cause so much hurt. Take, take advantage and so much abuse in their hearts. But, but there are parts of their home, there are parts of their hearts, though, that are so walled off. And, and I think of it as like that there's a panic room within their heart. And so there's, there's parts of their heart that anyone can get access to and, and cause so much damage, and, and you just see so much destruction there, the hurt and the abuse. But, but back somewhere in their heart, they're, they're walled in, or holed up in their panic room, and they're hiding. And but they're not alone there. In there is their hurt and shame, and all their their unhealed wounds. And and so they they continue now to be misused and mistreated by some, but they're also preventing that love from coming in. And so they're, they're stuck there. And, and you know, as I, as I prepared for this, this morning, and even now as I'm sharing this, I, I, I see your faces. I, I know, I know, I know you guys and your stories and, and what you're going through and what you've been through. And I know your struggles. And I, I struggle because I keep seeing your eyes. I keep seeing your faces and the pain that you carry, the shame and the guilt and the hurt that, you, that is holed up with you in your panic rooms and the terror that you feel of letting anyone get too close, the fear that if you do, not only will you get hurt again, but but it will it will confirm everything shame saying it it will prove to you that you really are that wretched person that that hopeless person and so you're you're just terrified living in that panic room well fortified you know that <clears throat> Proverbs 18, verse 19, it says it really well. It, it says, a brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. And our contentions are like the bars of a citadel, a fortress. You see, our, 
our protective measures, our panic room of sort, they, they will keep out some of the hurt, not all, but some. Some of the abuse, some of the rejection, because we, we just keep ourselves distant from people and tell ourselves that we don't care. So some of that hurt won't impact us. But it also keeps out all the love. And therefore guaranteeing us to experience hurt and rejection. Because see, hurt and rejection is just the absence of love. And if we're keeping that love out, if we're shutting it out, then we're guaranteeing our hurt. And so our, our panic room, our fortress, becomes our prison. But not just any kind of a prison. It, it becomes one of solitary confinement. And as that proverb said, it's so hard for you and I to escape out of that. We, we become trapped in there. And the, the longer we stay in there, the worse it gets. You see, you've heard the, the phrase, you know, time heals all wounds. That's not true. Think about it. What happens to a wound when it gets infected? Time doesn't heal it. It just makes it worse. And you see, when we're, when we're stuck in our panic room there, guarding ourselves out of sheer, just sheer fear and terror, those wounds don't, don't just heal themselves on their own. They, they tend to get worse. And, and it turns into bitterness and deeper hurt. And, and the, the people who hurt us, they, they begin to morph because we're listening to that voice of shame in the enemy and, and they, they become monsters now to us. And, and we feel more and more justified in staying in that panic room remaining cut off from any real hope, any real life. So here's, here's what happens now. I want us to, to look at the, the ramifications of being stuck in this panic room. And in Proverbs 14 and verse 30, it says, a, a tranquil heart, a, a peaceful heart is life to the body. But passion often translated as envy, but also could be translated as bitterness here, is rottenness to the bones. You see, it, this, this bitterness, this, 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 this strong hurt destroys our bones. And that in our bones, that's where our, our marrow is formed, which is the building box of our blood. And, and so this, this bad blood just infiltrates our whole body, infiltrates our whole being. And, and one of the things that it does is, is it will produce all kinds of anger. Remember, we, we looked at this a little bit briefly when we were talking about anger. Is one of the sources of anger is, is unforgiveness, it's bitterness. There's, a, there's a, a, such a great quote, great in how honest and real and truthful it is, that, that you might be cut by one person, but you... If it's not healed, you will bleed over others. And that's what happens with anger, is that is we, we've got this hurt that leads us now to hurt other people. We transfer that hurt onto others. Again, sometimes out of, out of protection, to keep them at a distance, and sometimes just because we don't know what to do with our own hurt. And so it just gets expressed on other people. 
Or, or maybe that anger, the person it's expressed on the most is me. We turn on ourselves. And that, that anger turned inward just becomes, uh, becomes depression. Where we're blaming ourselves for being so stupid in the first place, for allowing it to happen, or, or for not knowing better, or, or not being able to do more, or not being able to protect ourselves, or not being stronger. It was my fault in some way. And that anger turned inward will turn into depression, which will just lead to more hopelessness and despair and frustration. Because I'm, I'm the one that deserves the most abuse. Hebrews, Hebrews 12 and verse 15 adds to it. It, it, it. The writer there says, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it many may be defiled. I love the, the picture here, this root of bitterness. See, bitterness is, is something that's not obvious. It's, it's down low, it's below the surface because we don't always see it. We don't always realize the wound from five years or 10 years or even 25 or 50 years ago. We don't, we don't see how we're still carrying the impact of it. And yet it's being played out today. I had a, a friend of mine, um, he had a, he had a, a globe maple tree. That's, that was a tree I drew when I was a kid. It was you know, I, I would draw two lines for a trunk and a big circle for the top. That's essentially what a globe maple tree is. It forms a perfect sphere almost for, by its leaves. And he had this one tree in particular that was almost this perfect sphere until he began to notice dead branches. And um, he had a friend of his, a tree doctor, come and take a look at it and, and try to figure out what was the cause of it. And he, they knew it wasn't some kind of disease in the tree because that their previous efforts didn't work, but he, he noticed that the trunk was flat spotted on one side, meaning, meaning that the, the cross section wasn't circular, it was D-shaped. And this told him that there was a, a root, a feeder root, that rather than was spread out, was wrapped around the main tap root. And because it was wrapped around that main tap root, it was now choking the tree so that the life was in the tree, but it couldn't get out. It couldn't bear fruit anymore. And so the tree was expressing death. And, and that's what this root of bitterness does. It, it, it chokes us. It, we have the life of God. We have his grace, his power. But bitterness will choke us in such a way that that life, Jesus in you, can't get out. And so you, you miss out on experiencing his grace. It, it causes trouble in our life, this verse says. We begin to self-sabotage ourselves. We, we, might, we might cut off our nose to spite our face. We might, we might begin to, to try to cause trouble in other people's lives, thinking, how would they like it? How would, how would they feel if they treated me this way? If, if I treat them the way they treated me? And, and so like that movie, War of the Roses, where where we just begin to kill each other out of all this. So we just, we cause all kinds of trouble in our own lives. And the result of that is it begins to defile many, those around us, like a, like a virus, it just begins to spread. And so maybe to our spouse or to our children, to our friends, and bitterness just gets passed on generation to generation to generation. 
And then maybe, maybe the worst of all of this is often you become like the one you're bitter towards. You see, we, we fixate our eyes on whoever we're bitter towards. We, we replay conversations in our heads. And they said this, and I said that, and they said this to me, and they did that, and how dare they, and the injustice of that. And we, we play them over and over again, and they, they begin to occupy a large part in our heart, even though they're not there physically. Or, or then we may begin to imagine conversations where we imagine, I, I wish I said this to them. But then we imagine the response where they said this. And the response that we imagine is almost more offensive than what they said in the first place. And so then we say this and they say that and, and, and we get offended and more hurt from what we imagine them saying to us. I know I've, I've experienced that with people. And, and we end up becoming like them. I remember when I was first starting counseling, I remember meeting with a, a young lady and, and um, we were going through her story and her history. And I said, tell me about your mom. What was she like? And she gave me some characteristics of mom and none of them were flattering. And I, I, I knew at that point that, that there was some bitterness here because I asked the next question. I said, and I never thought of the question before this, that moment, and I, but I felt the Holy Spirit prompt me. And I asked the question, how many of those characteristics are you like today? And I saw her face fall as she thought about it. And, and she says, you know, I'm, I've turned into my mom. And you see, she was so fixated on her mom. She's adopted the characteristics of her mom now. And that's, that's what bitterness does. We become like the one we're fixated on. That's why Hebrews talks about fixing our eyes on Jesus so we can experience him and be transformed into his image. But, but when you're bitter towards someone, you can, you can be turned into them. That's why forgiveness is so important. Now you might, you might be thinking at this point, you, you might be thinking things like, you, you, you don't understand. You don't understand what they did to me. You don't understand how they hurt me. You don't, you don't understand what's, what's happened to me. That how that one moment of selfishness in their life has left me with a lifetime of damage and hurt to carry. The, the fear and the anxiety and the self-hatred that I now carry because of that person and you want me to forgive them? No way. And, and you'd be right and saying that I don't understand. I don't. I mean, I can, I can guess and I can speculate, but I don't really fully understand. And I don't think you do either. Only God does. But, but if there's one thing you take away from this morning's message, I, I want you to discover this, that, that the person who pays the greatest price for bitterness is you, not the person who hurt you, it's you. And so when you, when you offer forgiveness, you're really setting yourself free. You see, the other person, they might be dead. They might be long gone. They might be out of your life. They, they might not even realize that they offended you. Or, or maybe even worse of all, they've, they don't even give a second thought to what they've done to you. 
And so you go through your whole life carrying it over and over and over again, harboring that bitterness, harboring that unforgiveness. But but bitterness, as one person described it, is like drinking a glass of poison, thinking it's going to kill the other person. All the while, it's only killing you. And that's why it's so important to offer the gift of forgiveness, only to discover that the person receiving the gift is yourself. Because it's not primarily for the, for the other person. It's, it's for you and me. Listen, listen to this quote by, by a doctor, a physician, Dr. S.I. McMillan. He, uh, he wrote this in, the, in his book, None of These Diseases, he, uh, about the, anger of, uh, or the effect of anger and bitterness on a person's soul. Listen, listen to what he says. He says, the moment I start hating a man, I become his slave. I can't enjoy my work anymore because he controls my thoughts. My, resentment, my resentments produce too many stress hormones in my body, and I become fatigued after only a few hours of work. The work I formerly enjoyed is now drudgery. Even vacations cease to give me pleasure. It may be a luxurious car that I drive in a lake fringed with the fall beauty of maple and oak and birch. As far as my experience of pleasure is concerned, I might as well be driving a wagon in mud and rain. The man I hate hounds me wherever I go. I can't escape his tyrannical grasp on my mind. When the waiter serves me porterhouse steak with french fries, asparagus salad, and strawberry shortcake smothered with ice cream, it may as well be stale bread and water. My My teeth chew the food and I swallow it, but the man I hate will not permit me to enjoy it. The man I hate may be many miles from my bedroom, but more cruel than any slave driver, he whips my thoughts into such a frenzy that my inner spring mattress becomes a rack of torture. The lowliness of serfs can sleep, but not I. I really must acknowledge the fact that I am a slave to every man on whom I pour the vials of my wrath. It's killing us. It's killing our bodies. It's killing our souls. It's killing our relationships. It's it's depriving us of our birthright of the freedom that Jesus has given up so much that you and I could have. Let's, let's, now, let's now look at what forgiveness is not. Because I think when I've talked to people about forgiveness, they've, they've had so many misconceptions about it. And those misconceptions, I think, is partly what prevents us from forgiving in the sense that, oh, I don't want to do that. Or or it's prevented us from actually experiencing the forgiveness. So let's let's look at what it's not. Start with some understandings first. And the the first misunderstanding of what it's not is it's not rationalizing, it's not excusing, it's not justifying, it's not minimizing. This This is probably the one that I see the most done by people. They they say things such as, well, you know, my my mom, my dad, they were they were just doing their best. You know, they had a hard time growing up themselves. They they were broken as parents. You know, what 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 hope did they they stand? They they didn't realize what they were doing. They didn't know. And you know what? I I wasn't the perfect child. I uh I I had it coming. I 
I've sure I've sure known that. And we we justify and we minimize and we excuse. But do you do you realize what you're doing in that moment? You're you're actually now participating in the abuse because you're saying it was right, it was appropriate, and it was proper. And you're allowing that abuse to stay. And, and, and we do it because we don't know what else to do. And we think, if I can maybe, maybe if I can lower the debt, maybe if I can minimize the cost, then I can walk away from it. So let me, let me illustrate it to you this way. Imagine you steal $10,000 from me. You break into my house and you, 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 you take it and you rob it from me and I'm out $10,000. Now that's, that's a lot of money for me. I can't just walk away from $10,000. And so what I'll do then maybe is I'll, I'll minimize and justify and excuse. And I'll think, well, you know, you know, you, you needed the money. You were, obviously you're desperate. Otherwise you wouldn't have broken into my house. And so you're desperate for it. And, and, you know, I, I would have wasted that money. Really, I would have, I would have bought toys I didn't need. And I would have, you know, gone out to expensive dinners that I didn't need to do. And, and, you know, I would have, you know, blown it on gambling or some other kind of sin or whatever. You know, I would, I really would have wasted about 9,500 of that money. So really all you took was $500. Well, if I, if I whittle down the debt to $500, well, it's still a lot of money, but I can, in my mind at least, think I can walk away from $500 better. Problem is I don't. I don't walk away from the debt at all. The whole $10,000 debt remains. It's just, it's there. It's, it's holed up with me in my panic room. Or, or maybe I buried it somewhere in a carp under the carpet or, or in, a, in a closet or in a, in a wing of my heart that I never want to go into anymore. But like a, like a dead animal in the rafters, the smell just seeps into the rest of my heart. And I'm not, I'm not free from it. No matter how much I minimize and how much I justify. It was a long time ago. It doesn't matter. So that's, that's the other one. The next one we try and do, we try and bury it. We try to ignore it. You know, it was a long time ago. It doesn't matter. It, it, um, I should be over it by now. I mean, it, I was a little kid. It was, it just, it, it just doesn't matter. I mean, I don't see them anymore. And we, we just tell ourselves all these, these things, hoping that it goes away. But like I said earlier, time doesn't heal all wounds. Wounds, wounds untended to that are, that aren't cleaned become infected and get worse. A broken bone that isn't set properly, it, 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 will, it won't heal properly. You break your leg and, and don't set the bone in your leg, then, then you know, your legs will be all twisted and bent and out of shape. And you're gonna forever walk with a limp. See, time, time only heals clean wounds. Broken bones only heal properly when they're set when they're tended to. And you see, what forgiveness is, is forgiveness is the moment, is the act of cleaning the wound. And in cleaning that wound, it allows time now to heal it. And that's what the Bible's teaching us about forgiveness, is how do we clean these wounds? How do we clean these hurts? Whether they happen today, last week, last month, last year, or when, when you were just a little girl, a little boy. Here's another misconception of a misunderstanding 
Forgiveness means forgetting. This idea that, <clears throat> that somehow we're, when we forgive, we ought to forget about it. I mean, think, think about that. How, how are you supposed to forget some of the things that happened to you? I mean, that, that, would be, that would be a sin in of itself. That would be abusive to deny the abuse that happened, the, the initial offense, because basically what it would say is, is that your boundaries and your value and your heart, they don't matter. We're just going to forget about it and we're going to ignore it. We're never called to forget. Uh, but Ross, you know, the, the Bible says that, that God forgets, right? He, he forgets our sin. Well, he doesn't remember our sin. There's a difference. See, he doesn't, he doesn't ignore or pretend that the sin never happens. He just chooses not to hold it against us. You see, if he, if he drew a complete blank and totally forgot all about sin, then he'd be awfully confused when he's looking at Jesus dying on that cross, thinking, what, why is he dying? Like, why? He knows about the sin. He just doesn't hold it against you and I. He doesn't, he doesn't take it into account when he sees us, when he values us, when he loves us, because it's been forgiven. That's why Jesus had to die. Here's another misunderstanding. It's, it's forgiveness is not a feeling. Although there is, there is incredible relief when we do finally forgive. And again, the, 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 feeling, the, the feeling of it is just, it's obvious to see the, the lightness that comes from it for many people. But, but if forgiveness, again, if it's like the act of cleaning that wound or setting the bone, it takes some time for many for that healing to take place. And, and so that, that feeling of freedom may take some time afterwards. And, and I say that because so many people have felt guilt after they forgive someone to not not feel that freedom right away, to still feel that hurt and think, well, maybe I didn't do it properly. Oh, now I have more, more guilt, more shame because I just can't forgive. What's wrong with me? And, and we've made it about a feeling and it's not. As we're going to see, forgiveness is an act that we choose to do. And the feeling will begin to follow that over time, but it's more than that. The last one I want to look at this morning of what forgiveness is not is really important. It's not reconciliation. And, and what I mean by that is it doesn't guarantee that, that the person who offended you, you have to be restored to or be reconciled to. You see, that's what some I've taught. I've, I've heard people teach that if, if the moment you forgive someone, it has to go back to the way things were before the offense. And if it doesn't, then you haven't properly forgiven them and there's something wrong with you. That, that kind of thinking, well, the, the best words to describe that include words that are not fit for young years, quite frankly. It, it's, it's horrible thinking. The, to mandate reconciliation is not the case because we have to understand that forgiveness and reconciliation are two different steps. They're, they're not the same thing. Think, think about it this way. Um, imagine, imagine if a close family friend were to abuse my kids, that, that they were to have terrorized them, 
in some horrible way. And we find out about it and we confront them about it and we, we deal with it and, and we forgive them and, and my kids are find a way to get healing. They forgive them and, and that person's forgiven. Does that mean now that we have to invite that person over and have them over for dinner? Sit them at the table with my kids there. What, what kind of a monster would do that? To, to expose our kids to that level of, of terror. No way. No way. And, and we have to understand that, that out of respect for my children, out of love for my children, I'm not going to expose them to that person. They might be forgiven, but we're not going to be able to experience the same kind of, re of relationship again because that trust has been so broken. And so we forgive them so we can be free but that trust is likely not going to be there. You see, reconciliation is the step after forgiveness, but it's not always required. It doesn't guarantee, it's not guaranteed to happen because so much of it depends on, on repentance on the other person. See, think about it this way. In, uh, in 1 John 2, 2, we read that, that God forgave not just my sins, not just your sins, our sins, but the sins of the whole world. Right, that Jesus died forgiving everyone. In, in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 19, it talks about how God was in Christ, not counting the sins or trespasses of the world against, against, against us, right? So, so Jesus died for the whole world. You know what that means? The entire world is forgiven already. They're not forgiven the moment they ask for forgiveness. They've already been forgiven. They were forgiven on the cross 2,000 years ago. Does that mean the whole world is saved? No, not at all. Again, because salvation is different than forgiveness. Forgiveness is the means to allow it, but doesn't guarantee it. Why? Because 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20 then says to you and I that we're ambassadors of Christ, that we're going forward, we're making a plea with these people that they would be reconciled with God, that the forgiveness made it possible to now make the next step of reconciliation, of restoration, of redemption. And that requires repentance. That, that's what you and I did to that moment where we, we recognized that we can't be our own savior. And, and repentance, we changed our mind and we're thinking that, that God, you are going to be my God. You are going to be my Lord. You're going to be my savior. You're going to be the one I trust and follow. In and that moment now we're reconciled to God. But it took an act of repentance on our part, a change of our thinking, a change of our mind. And, and now in relationship, it works the same way that we can forgive so we can be free, but reconciliation now depends on repentance on their part, a repentance that restores and rebuilds that trust. And so for some, we can invite them back into our heart. We can invite them back into maybe to start with our hallway and we just sort of converse and we, we develop a level of trust in the hallway. And, and then we, we invite them in and come sit in the living room. And then we'll come and hang out in the dining room and we'll, we'll share a meal together. And, and maybe we'll even invite them into some of the more intimate places in our heart. And then there's others who, who will never be able to trust again. And they, they stand at the sidewalk and we stand at the doorway and we talk, but there's a distance of safety there. And that's okay for some but we can't do that with everyone. 
And that's when you're living in your panic room again. And that's when you're alone. Because you see, when that person's on the sidewalk and I'm in the doorway, it's difficult to experience that, that affirmation and that refreshing love, that life of God that we need to experience for one another. It takes that intimacy. Because you see, you can only receive love to the degree to which you trust someone. And if they're on the sidewalk and you're in the doorway, there's, there's very little trust. And therefore, you have very little love to receive. I hope, I hope you're beginning to see how, how significant and important forgiveness is. And, and conversely, how deadly bitterness is. How damaging it is, and, and, and really to ourselves. And so if, if we've seen what forgiveness is not, it's not justifying and minimizing and excusing. If it's not, um, if it's not ignoring it, if it's not burying it, if it's not reconciliation, if it's not a feeling, then, then what is forgiveness? And maybe even more importantly, how do we forgive? Well, for that, we're going to have to wait for next time. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. You'll find out next week how to do it. Um, but um, we, we, wouldn't, we don't have enough time to do it justice. And, and I want to make sure that we understand what it is and how we do it, and particularly how we do it. And so, um, so you'll need to come back next week and, and watch that one. But, but in, in between now and then, I want, I want you to maybe have some homework. I want you to think about, if you can find some time this week, begin to invite the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, there's a Psalm 139 at the very end, verses um, 23 and 24. David there, he, he invites the Holy Spirit and he says, if there's, if there's anything that's hurtful in me, that's, I know that's not how it's translated often, but really what, what he's saying is that whatever is hurting in me, search me. Search me, God, and find anything that's unresolved, that's untended to, that you might bring healing and peace to. And so maybe, maybe you would pray that psalm like David prayed and invite, invite Jesus in. You see, I think he wants to get into our panic room. I think in that Revelation 3 and 20, he's standing at the door knocking. And he, he wants to come into our panic room. He wants to come into our heart, the most, the most tender places where all that hurt is stored up and bring his healing touch so we can experience our birthright, our freedom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's, it's frightening and terrifying to, to open ourselves up to experience those hurts. I mean, we've been, there's a reason we've been ignoring them. There's a reason we don't want to face them because, because hurts hurt. They're painful. And we don't, we don't like what it, what it stirs up in us. But Father, it's, it's, it's needed. Because if that bone wasn't set properly, the pain of resetting the bone is immense but it's less than the, than the limp and the hobbling through the rest of our life. And so I pray, Jesus, that in this week coming, 
that you would begin to, if not already, speak to us in all those parts that need healing, that we've been hurting, and that we could experience now deep freedom. As we, as we learn and discover what it means to forgive so that we can go free. And I thank you that, that you're the doctor in all this. You're the counselor. You're the healer. And I pray that we all experience that. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.